Hi, everybody. I'm Scott Golden, and you are listening to the very first episode of From the Ground Up, a podcast about autism, faith, and family. And I'm joined with my co-host, Megan Halpert. Megan, welcome to our show. Thanks, Scott. I'm super excited to be here. I'm, I'm excited to have you here, and we've been talking about this and dreaming about this, and we're just excited to be able to share this with you. A little bit about my story. 2003, my son Colby was about 18 months old, and my wife and I started to notice that Colby wasn't developing the same way a lot of the kids that were uh, in his classes, and, and we started being a little bit concerned, so we started consulting our physician, and we were told, Colby looks fine, he's developing, just just give him a little more time. He's just got two sisters that are talking all the time and he, he doesn't get, he doesn't get to have a word edgewise. So just give him some time. But as the months went on, as he began to approach, you know, 20, 22 months, I remember saying something's just not right. And my, my wife was doing all sorts of research, trying to figure out what was going on. And I remember I was sitting at our kitchen table and I looked up at my wife one morning and said, do you think he could be autism? And it was almost as if all of the air was sucked out of the room. And we sat there with the idea that our child might have autism. And from that point on, we started looking to get diagnosis and go through that. And now almost 19 years later, we have a 21 year old son, Colby, that has been raised, but is currently dealing still with autism. So we've walked a long path of what it's like being parents with an autistic child. And because of that, we feel like we've learned quite a bit and developed a, a lot of knowledge that we would like to try to share with those of you who might just be in the beginning stages of all of this. Along with that, my co-host Megan has some experience as well in terms of being a BCBA. And Megan, maybe you could tell a little bit about your uh, background and your experience with autism. Yes. So thanks, Scott. I have um, been in the field of working with kids with autism for over 15 years. I have been um, a BCBA for 11 of those years. And one of the things I've seen with families and with kids is the first steps of getting that diagnosis are the most challenging. But then once they get that diagnosis, it's that's all they have. We know that the spectrum is so broad for kids with, with autism that a lot of the times one treatment isn't always sufficient as it is for another child. And so I think that it's really important for us to look at the child as a whole. And just because an intervention works with one kid doesn't always mean it works with another. And so I have been blessed to have the opportunity to work with so many families over my experience that when I come across a child with autism and I learn about the experiences that family has had, I'm able to share those with, with other families and, and kind of help connect people. And I think you hit the nail on the head is whenever these families get a diagnosis, it's kind of like, okay, then what, what do we do next? Mm -hmm. yes. And it's not, it's not, that's not the first step. You know, there's multiple steps and it's a journey, like you had said. So I've been, like I said, I've been a BCBA for 11 years. I worked in special ed prior to that. I guess I should go a little bit into my background. Stop and I've being done. modest, Megan. Okay, let's go ahead and say Megan's, Megan is a rock star when it comes to being a BCBA. And I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about it, but she really is a rock star. She, uh, she really helped our family pull and lots of other families pull through this. Megan, stop being modest. Please. Okay, so I have, like I said, I've been a BCBA for 11 years, had the opportunity to 
own and operate a clinic in Texas for seven years. Um, during that time, I was able to connect with so many families and um, help share through their journey. And in that piece of it, I learned that they have so many so autism doesn't just affect the a child, impact the child. It impacts the whole entire family. And yes. I think that's, you know, Scott, where you and I have so many conversations around that. And how does it, it doesn't just impact Colby. It impacts you. It impacts your wife. It impacts siblings. It impacts grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. It's the full yes. family. Yes. And when we talk about different treatments, we talk about how we're going to treat that child. But we really need to look at how we're going to treat the whole entire family. And so... After I had the opportunity to work in Texas, owned and operated a clinic for seven years, my husband and I had the opportunity to move back to Indiana, where we're originally from, to raise our kids. And in the time that I have been working with families, the one thing I've always heard families say, I wish somebody would tell me what I had to do. I wish yes. somebody would give me a roadmap, essentially, and tell me what I need to do. And so I think with you know, when you and I kind of put our heads together as we're, we've been talking about this, one of the things we wanted to do is really talk about, we can't provide a roadmap for every family, right? But we can provide the one piece of that map, and that's faith, and mm -hmm. how it's such an important piece of the the dynamic of, of this autism journey. And so kind of taking a little bit of steps here, talking about autism, and I know so many families get that diagnosis. They don't know where what it means, where it comes from. You know, all they know is the doctor finally gave them an answer to their question of what's wrong with my child, but they didn't give them the details. They didn't tell them, okay, you need to go here. You need to go there. You need to look into this. They give them a 15 or 20 page report that tells them all the things that's wrong with their child, but they don't tell them how to help get that, the, get their child the help that they need. And so I want to take a little bit of time to just kind of go into a little bit of the history of autism. Mm -hmm. where it came from, how long it's been around, their prevalence, which has grown tremendously since 2000. In 2000, we had a prevalence of one in 150 kids that were diagnosed with autism. 2014, that went to one in 68. In 2018, that went to one in 44. And then this past, was it in May of this year, the CDC came out with numbers one in 36 eight-year-olds were on the spectrum. And, so, and Megan, so, you know, that, that's just this incredible increase. And I'm always asked by people who don't know, you know, why is that? Well, I'm just a guy. I can't answer the question, you know, why, but obviously there's several different things. What do you, what's your opinion on why are we seeing this increase in, in, in the diagnosis of autism? I think that we are seeing an increase because we're becoming more educated. We're becoming more aware you know, the kids growing up that were just, they were just the weird kids, the odd kids that, you know, they just, something was just a little off. We now have a diagnosis for them. And now we know how to go about helping them and getting the supports that they need. Um, I actually kind of find it interesting because back in, um, was it 2018 when, or 2013, excuse me, when the DSM criteria for autism had been shifted, they basically what they did is they pulled out the um, the diagnostic information of. Um, so prior to 2013, the DSM criteria had autism, Asperger's, PDD-NOS, which was pervasive developmental. Everything disorder. was under one was, big umbrella. Everything yeah. was under one big umbrella. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
And in 2013, what the DSM did is they essentially sorted everything out. They pulled out, they said, you know, Asperger's is no longer Asperger's. It falls under the autism diagnosis. But they also pulled out a separated social communication disorder, which is basically when you look at the diagnostic criteria for autism, you have to have, there has to be some de deficits in social communication, some restricted to repetitive behaviors, and then symptoms some of early development. And mm -hmm. so you've got some kids that may have that social, that, those social struggles, but they don't have those repetitive behaviors. They don't have those delays in, in development. And so these kids now are kind of used to be under that umbrella, have now been pulled out in that social communication disorder. So you would think just kind of naturally when we're pulling that out, the numbers wouldn't be continuing to rise the way that they are. Right. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yep. So um, I find that very interesting. I also know that when kids aren't getting that autism diagnosis, this resources that they're eligible for become significantly depleted and there's not as many resources out there. So, right. So some of this is better diagnosis. Some of this could be driven a little bit by what gets covered so that kids that, you know, may have necessarily been borderline or maybe not necessarily been in, you know, were human behaviors, I need, I'm seeking those, those services for my child and they're, they're getting them covered. And then there's also the, it does seem like more and more children are having this, this, this problem, or this, this is this disorder. There's just no denying that. It's just, it's hard to really, it, it it's, it's hard to really get good information on why these numbers are going, are doing what they're doing. It's, it's multiple things, right? Yes. And then the, one of the things I was thinking too, Megan, that my wife likes to, when she's telling people about this is autism, it's this broad spectrum, it's multiple different symptoms. And basically your child just has to have a certain number of those symptoms and then they get a, a, a diagnosis, right? And, but each child, one child may have this set of symptoms. Another child may have this completely different set of symptoms, but they're still diagnosed with autism, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of, I'll just kind of go back to what you were mentioning or asking Scott about the prevalence. I think there's also kind of a shift in our society. If we go back to the historic portions of autism and where it came from, it actually back in the 19, 1943, Leo Kanner was one of the first people to use the term um, autism when he was writing a paper about kids who were struggling with communication, lack of social skills, and, and exhibiting some stereotypical repetitive behaviors. And that he what he coined the reason for that was that the term I'm sure you've heard, refrigerator moms. Oh and boy. this was, yeah, this was a very let's, let's detrimental a term. More guilt. Yeah, right? let's throw a right? little more guilt on moms yes. so they, they can feel bad about one more thing out there, yes. right? Yeah, so what a horrible thing. He, horrible. he he threw this term out there and said these moms basically didn't love their kids enough. They weren't compassionate and enough to their kids. And that's how, why they had this, this autism. And of course that was in the forties. So from the forties till about the late sixties, early seventies, any child that was diagnosed with autism was assumed to have this terrible, horrible mom who didn't love them enough or didn't cuddle them enough, didn't give them enough affection. Thankfully that was debunked in the seventies by a psychologist who had a child with autism and he did a twin study to prove that that's not truly what caused it. But I think there's a huge shift in, you know, the, that time frame of, you know, we're, we're as human beings, we always want to know the why, right? We want to know why. And so from these professionals are saying, well, it's you mom, it's you. So also 
parents weren't wanting to admit this, right? So I'm not going to, if I think it's autism, I'm sure the heck not going to go to a professional and say, I think my kid has autism or if my kid's acting out, I'm not going to go seek services because I don't want to be accused of that. And these, and these kids would be removed from their mothers and be sent to institutions across the country and they would never oh, see them word. again. Wow. I mean, it, there's just horrible stories about this. And, and that's less than 50 years ago. Yes. That's crazy to think about. Yes. So I think just that kind of shift and, you know, the, we still have doctors that are, you know, of that generation, not all of them, but I think also there, the lack of, of knowledge with them of what it, autism is, what it looks like. And just, you know, they just, you know, it's parents, you know, you're just kind of being, you're just, you just give it some more time, give it some more time. I think those things are really contributing to us being aware as a society, being more accepting of, of I say all of that with the refrigerator moms. We've obviously taken a completely different turn for that, thank the Lord. But I think that the, our society as a whole has now become more aware, more accepting. There's a lot of resources out there now that are allowing these kiddos to kind of receive the services and the supports that they need. Yes. So. Well, Megan, at this point, why don't we make a little bit of a transition? Because one of the things we wanted to do is uh, in, in our show, and this is going to kind of be our format, is we want to have some discussion about autism at the very beginning. We're going to kind of have an Ask Megan session. So each show, we're going to open it up and have Megan talk about some important topic that regards autism on a regular basis. And what we're trying to do is to help all of those parents that are in that early phase trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? We, we, we want to do that. But there's two other really important topics that we want to make sure they're incorporated into the show. And one of those topics is faith. We really feel like, like autism, and I'm just speaking from experience as a dad, autism can be one of the greatest challenges to your faith you'll ever experience. And it can challenge, you know, it can challenge how you view God. It can challenge how you view your church. It, it, it can cause all sorts of spiritual questions and it can really be challenging. So, and, and Megan, when we were talking, Megan said, you know, I think it's really important that we incorporate scripture into what we're talking about as far as faith goes. And I'll invite you now, Megan, do you want to kind of share kind of the scripture theme that we have for this? And then, you know, how we feel like this scripture impacts this show and how, it, how are, we actually get our title from this scripture. Yes. So um, it's so funny how, you know, Scott, we say we brought this scripture. I really think that God brought it and we brought it to us together to kind of agree with it and come on board with, with it from two different angles, right? So yes. I'm obviously, I'm not a parent, but I've worked with kids and had the opportunity to work with families. And so I see the kids I work with, the families I work with as huge blessings. It's just an absolute honor. And so, and we get, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about this, but in John 9, you know, the Jesus, Jesus and the disciples are walking and they come across a, a man who's blind and they say to him, Rabbi, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but he, this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I really like the message version I was reading today, actually. You know, it says, Jesus said, you asked the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. And I think that perspective shift is so important. You know, this didn't happen because somebody did something wrong. Yes. It, disability is not a sin. Nobody yes. did anything wrong, right? But this is a path that God is using to be glorified and to bring to people together, to serve people and to bring glory to, to the Lord. And so I actually 
told Scott, I'm like, I think we need to have a verse that ties into the title of our podcast. And he said, and I didn't even propose it. I had it in the back of my mind, but I didn't say anything because I didn't want to, I didn't want to lay a path that was not mine. I said, you know, Scott, you as a parent, what, what verse talks to you? Like, what do you go to as kind of your comfort? And he said, John 9, 2 and 3. And I was like, all right, that's when I had in my head. We're going with the boys. Like <laughs> the Lord brought it to us. So we're going to use it. Can, can I share why I think this is so critical, for, especially for parents with autism? Because I remember early in our path, my wife reading message boards, because my wife is a sponge for information. You know this, Megan. She's constantly searching boards. She's a, she's a super autism mom. And she was reading one of these boards, and, this, and it was talking about church experience. And this person posted this question. She goes, which God do I pray to the God that made my child the way he is or the God that's not doing a miracle to cure my child? And that question broke my heart. It, I, I thought in terms of I've, I've got to search this out because I was at that same time, I was going through a real faith crisis. I don't mind telling people it was a dark time for me early on in this process of trying to understand why is this happening to my child? And I, I remember coming to, to understand that, that God's going to use this to glorify him. And the idea that we've got to disregard that question, because God's not the cause of this. We live in a broken world, bad things happen. And, you know, I, I also like to use the idea that, you know, people get cancer, people get all sorts of other diseases. And, and you're, you know, just being a human being in this world, that's a risk factor. My child happened to draw the card of autism. It's, it's, it's horrible. I, I wish we weren't on this path, but now that we are, I've seen God do some amazing things and touch lives that would never have been touched had my child not had autism. And I'll, I'll share briefly. I had two older daughters when, when Colby was born and they've both been exposed to this kind of life of working with children and families with autism. My oldest daughter, Chelsea, came out of college and became the first special needs minister our church ever had and developed, started a great ministry that's reached out and touched many, many families that have been touched by this ministry that would have never happened had we had no experience with autism. I shouldn't say that it would have never happened, but it probably wouldn't happen the way that it did if my daughter hadn't made some choices to serve the Lord through this situation. And then I have a second daughter, Chloe. Oh, and by the way, that daughter's becoming a BCBA just she like is. Megan to work. Finally, yes. took her forever. I'm like, girl, this is your path. <laughs> and and then my other daughter, Chloe, is a speech pathologist working in New York City with kids with autism. And she's touching families that would never have been exposed to this. She's able to reach families that not only need the help with, with their children, but also need the encouragement that a Christian perspective might be able to give to their children as well. And we have a church that now has respite nights and we have a small group that's built with just families of special needs. And we've got you know, marriages that are, that are coming together because of what has happened. And I just want to encourage those that are out there right now that are struggling with this and trying to, trying to figure out the why, let me just explain to you, you may not ever understand the why, but if you look close enough, you'll see that God is moving through this and touching people if you will allow him to work through it.
and, and I go back to kind of Romans eight twenty eight in 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 that uh, scripture as well. So, Scott, I think it's so important. You talked about Chelsea and the amazing things she's done. You know that special needs ministry is huge. I will say, I think personally, and this is my own perspective as Christians, as we really don't do a good job in the church of supporting those families. Yeah. But Chelsea has created a program and created a respite that not only, yeah, it helps serve those families, but we don't know how many marriages that she has saved because she's given those husbands and wives one-on-one time that is so hard for them to find. Right. And I think there that would have never happened should had Colby not had autism. You know, that wouldn't have been her drive. And well, maybe we transition now to the idea of the third leg of our program and talk about family, because we feel like family has to be addressed in all of this as well. And I know this is something that you and I have discussed as well, Megan, and, and we're, we're really touched by this. Do you want to kind of share a little bit about why we think family has to be included in this, that it can't just be about the child. It has to be about the whole family. Absolutely. Um, and I think we've, we've kind of talked to Scott about just the different dynamics of husband and wife. Just to kind of throw some some statistics out there, because I'm a numbers gal, you know me, data-driven person. Back in February of this year, Psychology Today put out a report that the a divorce rate of children with autism is 80%. 80% of families that have a child with autism, their marriage ends in divorce. And that is just, it breaks my heart. Because yes. lot. Kids with autism, they struggle with so many different things. This is just now a compounding factor. And I do think it's because moms and dads, when they get that diagnosis, they go in two different directions, right? Yes. So moms turn into mama bear. They turn into problem solvers. Or t- they turn into, I've got to get them the services that they need. I need to find the supports that my kids, my child needs. And they're on the phone looking, researching. Your wife is the epitome of this. She is a walking encyclopedia when yes. it comes to to autism, but, you know, they're up late at night, you know, mm-hmm. Googling and researching after they've taken care of the family and gotten everybody dinner. And if it's, a, if they have multiple children in the family, you know, we've got sporting events and we've got homework and we've got all these things to do. And then mom's up at night on her computer Why dad's laying next to her in his head. He's saying, why, what did I do wrong? Where did I go right. wrong? What did I, how am I going to bond with this child? Right. What does that look like? And so yes. that, those two things, you know, moms moms are going after the solutions and dads are going after the whys. Right. And that and I'll let you speak to this more. Obviously you've let you've lived it, but it's so important that we they get on the same page with things yeah. and take that time for, for themselves. Do you mind sharing a little bit about Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's real important that we start this family segment by letting people know that if you are already in a situation where you're a single mom raising a special needs kid, the last thing we want to do is make you feel any more, you know, difficult or guilt or anything like that. We want to support you. We, we want you to feel loved. We want you to let you know that, that you know, that we're, we want to encourage you. And at the same time, if you're a whole family right now, but you're struggling, we want to be able to provide you with some potential solutions. And we want to provide you with some encouragement so that we don't end up in that place. And I can tell you from personal experience, my wife and I have, we've got a marriage that's, you know, 37 years. My wife was 19 years old when we married. I was 21, if you can believe that. And my, my goal was I need to marry her before she gets smart and goes find somebody else. (laughs) So 
she's and she's been a great support but and and we've had a real solid marriage for a lot of years but i can also say that if you know a child with special needs and autism if there's any kind of kink in your marriage if there's any kind of place that's softer or or you know that 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 has a a potential for problem autism is going to find it because it's going to make the the financial part more difficult it's going to make the time commitments that you give to each other more difficult. It's going to make the stress more difficult. It's going to make the communication more difficult. Whatever it is that you find that's difficult in your marriage, autism is going to take it and it's just going to turn the thermostat up to high. And you have to be aware of that because you have to be aware that some of the problems that you're having in that relationship are not just you and, and your partner. They're the situation that you're in. And you have to realize that you're on the same team and you're fighting the same battle. And you have to constantly remind yourself of that. And what we talked about just a minute ago, Megan, that the idea that, you know, women have one response and men have another response. And just speaking from the male perspective, it can be very, very difficult because if, if somebody were to, you know, a, a neurotypical child, I know how to bond with a neurotypical child. I'm going to go grab a football. We're going to play catch every night you know, throw the ball back and forth and we're going to have that kind of interaction. We're going to go do stuff together. We're going to go on hikes and things like that. None of those options are available, or I would say those options are very, very limited Mm -hmm. when you have a special needs child. And for the male to bond with the child takes a lot more effort than it does with the, the female response. Women are bonded almost naturally. There's hormones going through their bodies. They're close. And because the, the, the female bond is so strong and the male bond is so weak. It's easy for there to be tension there between the man and the wife. And, and for the, for the wife to say, well, you know, husband, why aren't you spending more time with the child? And why aren't you doing more of the things that I need you to do? And for the man to say, well, I'm doing what I can, but why can't I have a little bit more of your time as well? Why are you spending all your time on, on the child? And, and there's just all of this conflict. So, we want to encourage families. There's steps that you can take to try to, to understand each other. There's, and, and some of it's just male, female differences. And we want to encourage people to, to, to take a step back, develop strong families, spend time together when you can, you know, take a respite, drop the kids off someplace, find, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard finding babysitters. It's hard finding people that can help. And it's not like you can just go to a family member and drop them off like you could if they were typical because the family members don't know how to deal with it with the child. We understand it's hard. Part of our show is designed to help you know how to approach that. And then the second thing is, is part of our show is we want to be a resource for helping you to build strong families with the other siblings that are a part of this. Maybe the kids that are typical because they're going to see things differently than other kids in other relationships. In my family, we were real fortunate. Our kids were able to come through and see why this was important and they kind of got on board. I know other families where there's a lot of resentment between the siblings and and we want to try to avoid that if possible. I think the the thing that I wanted to talk about tonight, more importantly, I kind of want to leave you with this because I think this is important because I know there's just people that are going to be listening to this and this is where your relationship is. You've, you've spent so much energy trying to help the child that you don't have a whole lot of relationship left. And I just want to encourage you, 
you've got to keep and fight for that relationship because that relationship is the support for that child. If you, if you don't support the relationship, it's going to have a negative impact on the child. So you've got to spend some time there. And what, one of the things that we picked tonight for something to discuss just briefly is I think it's critical that families with autistic children, man and wife specifically choose to, to set aside time for intimacy to be together, to be close, to talk, to, to experience that sexual relationship that's so critical in, in, in relationships, because it's too easy for you to simply, you know, spend all your time and your energy and you don't have, you don't have any energy left for each other. And that's when the relationship needs more than anything else. It needs that because what will happen is you'll, you'll not have that, those experiences. You'll start living as roommates. You'll start living as co-parents and then before you know it, you'll just start existing and the relationship just goes away. It just, and, and it doesn't happen overnight. It just eventually gets there. So let me encourage you, if you're listening to this right now and, and you're in a relationship with a partner, set aside some time this week, plan it out, put it on your calendar, you know, look at it like a doctor's appointment we're going to spend time together and we're going to have some intimacy in our relationship because that's required for us to maintain our relationship as a man and a wife and spend that time now and, and, and dedicate some time to do that. I think you will, it's more than just that time that you're together. It has effects later on. It, it builds on itself, but I think it's critical that you do that. So that's, I'm going to leave you with that little bit of advice this week from Scott's from you know ask scott scott says have more sex okay <laughs> it exists you know take care of your kids i'll scott focus says, on the kids scott will focus yeah, on the marriage stuff scott's gonna tell you have more sex and i think that that's critical all right so <laughs> megan do you want to just kind of tell a little bit about you know where they can go to get resources and where you know kind of what we're trying to finally do with this this show and you know how they can contact us if they have questions things like absolutely, that absolutely absolutely so this obviously is us to get those resources out to people, but also to kind of hear what other resources people may have or what resources you're seeking out. Julie Scott's wife is an amazing resource for all things autism. I have my own consulting firm, Hopper Consulting, where I can help navigate and assist families in those first steps of that diagnosis. So you get that diagnosis, you've got that paperwork, and you're like, what do I do now? What's the best path for my child? I have a, a special guide that we can use to kind of navigate. How do I prioritize things? Because I have a diagnosis now, but now I'm like basically back up to step one. Where do mm -hmm. I get, where do I look for resources? What res resources are best for my child? You know, how do I go about the financial piece of this? How do I go about caring for my other children? What about my work schedule? All of these things playing into that. So I would love the opportunity to talk with some parents and families and, and see how I can help that that aspect and kind of navigating them to those resources. I know that Autism Speaks is, a, is another resource that a lot of families use in those first steps. But honestly, getting plugged into the autism community and sharing, I think, is, is one of the very, very first steps that's really important. So I'm excited about what we're going to do here, Scott. I think we have a lot of um, knowledge to share. You from a parent standpoint, me from a professional standpoint, and the opportunities I've had to be blessed in working with families. Our goals are to kind of is to are to talk with siblings and and talk with other professionals and share stories of of families that have kind of navigated this and and gotten through it successfully. We can even find some some single moms, I'm sure, to kind of share the the hills and valleys of this of this journey. So 
talking about how we can pair other family members into, you know, I know when I first started in the field, I, I met with a family and they had a hard time of getting grandparents to interact with their child. And so being able to kind of share them, share with them some resources and examples of what they could do really helped as well. So I'm very excited about this and I think we're going to be do able to- you want to give your email address real oh, quick sure. so people know how sure. to, to, to reach you? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I can be reached at Hoppert Consulting LLC at gmail.com. That's H-A-U, P as in Paul, E-R-T-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G LLC at gmail.com. I also have a website, www.hoppertconsulting.com. You can go on the website and read a little bit more about me and the services I offer. And then I wanted to put in a word for our church here in the Keller area. If you're in the in, in North Tarrant County, we have a, a special needs community that's a part of this church, and we want to really welcome families with special needs children. If you or your family would like to attend, if you want to contact me, I'll get you in contact with our special needs ministry so that they can be prepared for what your child's needs are. I'm going to give you an old-fashioned email address. Mine is S E. Golden, G-A-U-L-D-E-N at AOL.com. So please feel free to, to contact me there. Or if you're just a dad that's struggling and you just, you know, need to have a cup of coffee or go talk to somebody, feel free to send me an email. I'm happy to work with you. We just want to let you know that we're going to try to put together some programs for you as this goes on that will help you to answer your questions, that will help accelerate your learning process and will give you encouragement and hope in this, this path of autism with you and your child. So I just want to thank you for being a part of this. Megan, thank you as well. And we look forward to you, not just listening to this show, but for all of the new shows that are coming down the pipe. Thanks everybody. Thanks guys.